perfection. A scorched outpost in the middle of nowhere. You know how close I am to leaving this place right now? How close? Maybe that's why Val and Earl decided to leave town. That's Edgar Deans. They just picked the wrong day to do it. Jeez. You guys better get the hell out of here. There's a killer on the loose. Who could be doing it? Is that a snake? I'll give you boy five dollars for this. Twenty. That's how they get you. They're under the ground. How could they eat a whole station wagon? But where do they come from? I vote for outer space. No way these are local boys. You see, they're headed right for us. No Richter scale can measure it. They're coming! No scientist can explain it. Bert, they're under the ground. You didn't get penetration even with the elephant gun. Run, run! And no one knows what to call it. Mega worms or suckers or... Or suckoids. Now, this valley is just one long smorgasbord. Now, it's up to Val and Earl to save the world. That's one big mother. Who died and made you Einstein? And they know just what to do. Flip for it. Damn. Kevin Bacon. Fred Ward. Tremors. levels on anything mm-hmm. back in black back in black yeah so listeners you are listening to chewing the scenery horror movie podcast we're a podcast that talks about a horror movie and we will spoil that horror movie we're not professional critics and we're gonna try to not spoil recently watched which i don't have much of so that'll be easy um paul welcome to the show this is the sound of my voice. Hey, oh, oh wow. yeah. All right. Um, I'm Richard. I'm here with Jolien and Paul because, um, Paul, you dig tremors and Will is in New Mexico, maybe being chased by giant sandworms. That's what I, th- that's the uh, part of the country, right? Um, I think it's supposed to be in Nevada. Nevada. But New Mexico, Nevada. You know, <laughs> potato, patata, Nevada. The, the American, Nevada. the romantic American Southwest. It is, isn't it? It's colorful. It's beautiful. Um, it's dry. That it is. And, yeah. you know, dangerous if you go by what you've seen on screen. Um, thank you to the Moonrays for giving us that song, Intro Creature Features, at the top of the show. Uh, say hello to them on Facebook, where they are, the Moon Dash Rays. If you want to buy their music, do that on Amazon or iTunes. Um, I think that's the housekeeping we normally do. Um, what part of the country is not dangerous? I haven't found it. <laughs> I mean, 
I haven't been hurt too badly here in the greater Denver area. Uh, I've been injured, but that was mostly my fault. Injured in a confrontation? No, not exactly. Um, no, actually, no. Um, I don't know why I think of dangerous as other people? involving people, but I suppose <laughs> there's natural disasters yeah. and mostly tools or <laughs> objects in front of me. You know, that's what's dangerous to me. Well, that sounds like you're supplying the danger. I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sharp things, for example. Yeah. Blunt things that I'm not looking at when I walk into them. That kind of stuff. But. That's that's my day to day. Before we get the recently watched underway, um, I think most of the listeners who, who have listened before know that um, the three of us who normally do the show are all art people, and we used to work at a particular art supply store. Um, Paul, you're an art person who used to work at the same art yeah, supply store. I, I suppose <laughs> I have the pedigree, so I can be here. It's not a prerequisite. <laughs> well, you know, it's um, but it's. It explains probably why I am here. <laughs> it's, it's part of it. Yeah. And it's how you know us. That's right. But um, give us a background on uh, on what it is you do and, and uh, how you go about doing it as far as your art. What do I do? Well, I, I'm still figuring that out, but um, uh, I occasionally uh, sketch and draw um, from observation and uh, and teach how to do that to other people. And I was just in Chicago teaching a workshop about urban sketching. Yeah. So, and the definition of urban sketching is go to an urban area and sketch it. Not necessarily urban. I think that's the name that it's, that has stuck. Right. But it's a uh, location drawing. Um, it's sort of a developed, um, there's a, a guy in Seattle who kind of started a group. Um, and I kind of got in on the ground floor, uh, 12 years ago. Um, he found my work online and I was kind of doing it sight unseen until my wife, Linda encouraged me to post my sketches. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, cause I started out as a painter, uh, doing, you know, oil painting and things like that. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and then it just developed into this movement because I think there were a lot, a lot of people already, um, doing these kinds of things and they were isolated from each other. Um, and then, you know, Social media, I think, brought a lot of communities together in the last 10, 15 years that didn't know they were communities, and this is one of them. So there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people doing this kind of all over. And uh, every year we have a big uh, symposium that I travel to and teach workshops. Yeah. And um, and it's been a real cool thing to be a part of. I never anticipated when I set out with my, you know, my artistic intentions years and years ago uh, yeah. that this would be kind of where it led to or at least where i'm right now and you've not only gone to places like perfection nevada but you've gone to uh, <laughs> you've gone to um brazil you've gone to england oh yeah yeah uh, i was in portugal last year yeah um this year the big international symposiums in amsterdam but i'm not participating i'm kind of taking a break and then uh next year there are rumors but I can't I can't speak to those rumors because there hasn't been an official announcement. But I, the location will be in a large metropolitan area somewhere, probably. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Um, and if people want to see your stuff on Instagram, uh, it's Paul Heaston Art. Paul Heaston Art on Facebook and at Paul Heaston on Instagram and okay. Twitter. H e a s t o n. H e a s t o n, like Charlton Heston with an A. 
and nothing like Charlton Heston. Also. <laughs> no, the, yeah, the similarities end with a beard and uh, hanging out with simians, but yeah. that's about it. Yeah, you're not a three year old and a one year old at home. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and listeners who are listening for the first time, they're going to be like, who's this Will guy you're talking about? <laughs> well, he'll be back in a week or two. Uh, Jolien, you've been working on something that you're still not able to talk about, yeah. right? And uh, just to give people an idea what you do, it's sequential art or comics. Yes, mostly. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a lot of cover illustrations and that sort of thing. Yep. Um, I think uh, now that one of the editors is back from his travels, there should be a book on Paul Nashi coming out soon. Oh, cool. And I did the cover for. Great. And then a book on Indian movies coming oh. out soon, as in Hindustani. Yeah. That's great. So we got some Bollywood-related stuff there. Yeah. Did you notice a whole bunch of Bollywood stuff showing up? Was it, Is it Netflix or...? Uh, Netflix is. There's a lot because uh, it, they they practically dumped physical media in India now. It's, it's a massive sharing community and, uh, and downloading and uh, streaming community there. So it's not expensive for Huge Netflix to, to license it. Yeah, I know. Uh, they must have ties there because they yeah. get a lot of, especially Bollywood stuff showing up there. Oh, yeah, because I, I noticed it. Like, whenever I search anything, it's like, whoa, I, I didn't notice this before, and I would have noticed this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, but they've never had a good uh, film preservation uh, culture there oh, yeah. or, or interest in, you know, watching their old older films. Huh. Um, so, yeah, if you, you know, it's hard for outsiders to get into it because uh, so much of it is gone. Man, and it's uh, if it's not stored properly or cataloged, and that's going to be a place where some inhospitable weather could oh, get yeah, to it. Oh yeah, the worst. You know, I mean, I mean uh, even like the the big uh, art house names like Satyajit Ride, You know, uh, watched one of his movies recently. is just in terrible condition, and that was that was not that. It's not that old. Yeah, what was that? Mahakal, what was the one you loaned me? Mahakal. <laughs> the monster. Is that the... Uh, the Indian Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger one, yeah. Oh my God. It is amazing. And you should all see it. <laughs> and they just totally lifted the theme music. Oh yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah you, you uh, like one, one of these books that uh, I did the cover for uh, is like a collection of uh, the, the covers of their... They the have VCD and DVD covers. Uh-huh. And uh, they were just throwing everything. It doesn't matter what's in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's like skimply dressed women, <laughs> monster faces. Yeah. They, they just throw it all in, and and it'll, it'll have they'll take images off of uh, book covers. Oh man! So like the uh, you know the and and it's quite fun to spot. Not unlike did them. YouTube thumbnails these days. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like uh, there's like a Les Edwards did this this painting for a book cover back in the 70s and that you know that's that's now a demon on the front of a indian <laughs> possession movie it's the wild west in in india somehow yeah <laughs> damn well what what have you watched since we did this last uh well i finished up that project so we're waiting for feedback on that yeah um so i've got a few days spare so uh, i spent it doing something constructive and cultural and uh, improving my mind yeah um so i watched uh I watched The Curious Female from 1969. Uh, it's directed by mm. Paul Rapp. Uh, this is uh, set in 2427 AD when LA is an island <laughs> where uh, <clears throat> orgiasts uh, secretly watch 20th century films 
because uh, they feature couples in relationships, which is banned by the master computer of the future. Okay. And uh, this uh, stars Angelique Petitjohn as a virgin, <coughs> and uh, she's also one of the future women. And uh, she was she was in uh, you might know her from Clambake. <laughs> <laughs> the Elvis Presley movie? <laughs> and she was also in an episode of Star Trek. Um, that's probably a best-known role. Hmm. Um, Charlene Jones's Pearl. It's uh, it's really dull. Okay. But it's got fun. I, I, like, I like the future things because it's got these really stupid uh, 1969 ideas of uh, oh, yeah. costumes of the future. Oh, yeah. Um, so are they silver jumpsuits? Silver, like, short skirts and... You know, lots of spangly face makeup and yeah, stuff like that. We were supposed to have hover cars by now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're, they're working on them. Yeah, well, there's prototypes. There's a, there's I mean, a, we, 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 on the drive over here, you're kind of glad that cars are nailed down to the road because <laughs> <laughs> there's some stupid things happening in there. Oh yeah, we watched a guy weaving in and out of his lane. It's, yeah, it's like clearly on his phone. Yeah, only barely nailed down to the road here. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there's a guy who goes zipping around the neighborhood right outside here, that uh, is on one of those electric uh, um, skateboards. Mm-hmm. And you see the ones that have the, it's basically a plank with a ball in it. The, there's also ones that are just a regular skateboard shaped skateboard, and he is cruising on this thing. And it looks like he's holding a dead man switch, which is probably appropriate. But I think if, <laughs> if it goes flying and your thumb comes off the button, then it'll yeah. eventually stop. At least the skateboard won't be the projectile. Right. right? Just the human. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the guy has got, he's got earbuds in and he's just screaming down the street as fast as a car. Yeah. Those, the personal conveyances that everybody's got now, mm-hmm. these little person-sized ones, I think. I, Yeah, it's the... I'm five years late to saying that's the future, but <laughs> well, and Jolien, you remember this, I'm sure, when we were working at the art supply store, and and I think it was maybe out of trend by the time you started there, Paul. Uh, a kid would just come shooting out of an aisle on those stupid sneakers that had wheel, oh, the wheels yeah. built yeah. in them. Wheelies, wheelies, is that what they were called? Or heelies? Heelies, yeah. And you just you'd be walking up the aisle, and all of a sudden there's a kid screaming out in front of you. Mm-hmm. I, in, in another life, I worked at Home Depot, and they were banned oh, for that reason because good. of the, you know, the things in the implements sticking out of the shelves. You know, yeah. you don't yeah. want to fly into. Yeah. <laughs> so if we ever caught anybody, we were allowed to expel them from the store. Excellent. Good. I'm sorry, Jolie. That was a little <laughs> aside that we. No uh, right. cars. I so the future. Watched, uh, the eyes of Orson Welles. This is a documentary that came out this year um, by Mark Cousins. Does it cover the monstrous side of him as well as his accomplishments? Uh, what he basically he's uh, he visits uh, Beatrice Wells, one of his daughters, um, and uh, she's got his boxes of his his actual artwork, his paintings and sketches and cards he'd send to people. Was he any good? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really loose. Uh, uh, drawings okay. um but uh and then he uses that and and uh he goes around locations around the world it's a pretty nice job you know everywhere he's been filming or everywhere he lived and uh and shoots some of that and and then integrates it with his and and it's in the form of him addressing orson 
uh, <laughs> all the way through it. So, uh, and, and he's you know he's talking to Orson Welles about his politics and his love life and stuff like that. Hmm. So uh, it, it is an enriching. Yeah, you know, you, you know, you get to see uh, unfamiliar bits of artwork. And that's, so always, that's always good. Yeah, um, uh, I went and saw Godzilla: King of the Monsters again. Again? Yes. Um, noticing other things in it. There's a G Team member called Harryhausen. Oh, this is a completely nerdy movie. Have you seen yeah. it? Oh no, I haven't, but I know uh, Ray Harryhausen. Oh yeah. Um, uh, this does deserve its own episode soon. I mean, you know, once the new Godzilla. Yeah, we have to. Yeah, it's not doing that well, so it will, it's pretty drop. It's not on the big screens anymore. What? Uh, it's on the you know on the secondary screens at the yeah. theaters. But, oh. um, yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I, it's a good-looking film. I probably won't go and see it theatrically again. But uh, that I was sat next to this guy, and he was really talking back to the screen a lot all the way through it <laughs> sometimes he'd, you know, he'd look over and he'd be asleep and then sometimes he'd, uh, he'd, you know be, he'd be really talking back to the characters and like whenever the, he didn't like fire for some reason like whenever there was like fire in the movie or someone burnt some food or something he'd be going fire fire and <laughs> and, uh, and when, if someone got like hurt he'd go are you okay Oh, so he might have had some sort of uh, mental issues, you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. But it, it was fun to interview the neighbor because he was really into it. Yeah. And, you know, by the end of it, he was going, ooh, wow, ooh, wow. <laughs> uh, I, in, uh, the, there's a certain scene uh, in it where there's tons of stuff buried, you know, like details in there. Uh, uh, so uh, this time I noticed uh, there's a statue of Pazuzu. Oh, really? Where? Like, do, do you know Pazuzu from... In The Exorcist, there's this like, uh, demon with four wings and you see the statue at the start mm-hmm. and it kind of turns up and flashes later on in the movie. And it's turned up in other movies. You know, it's, you know, it's just one of those things that... Uh, I saw The Exorcist at a house party in high school once. <laughs> yeah. We weren't committed to... It wasn't a diligent watching. Okay. But... Um, it doesn't really it doesn't really jump right into the action or carry the action long enough for high school students to necessarily be like, oh wow, you know, this yeah. thing's just, you know, stomping and doing stuff. It's not a party movie. We yeah. were sophomores too. We were just oh, yeah. staring at each other like is this cool? Are we cool? <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. Get out the Ouija board. <laughs> Let's see if we could conjure something. Um, there's also a Viking longship in there, which I thought might be a reference to Gorgo. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, uh, what's um, Climax from last year? It's a Gaspar Noé film. Oh, wow. I didn't know about this one. Uh, it's about a European dance troupe and they rehearse and, and uh, have a party and someone spikes the, um, uh, the sangria with the LSD. Oh, wow. And uh, so they, they will freak out in various ways. So would this be a good companion piece for Suspiria? No. Uh, there's, you can see uh, this movie um, starts off with a shot of, uh, it's, it looks like it's a drone shot of a woman running through the snow and collapsing, seen from mm-hmm. overhead. And then it goes to the end credits. And then it goes to about 10 minutes of people on a TV screen and they're various dancers, and they're, and they're they're giving their comments on various questions, 
about their own lives and things. Yeah. This goes on for 10 minutes. And on the other side of the TV screen, there's a, there's piles of books and, and DVDs. And one of them is Suspiria. Oh, okay. And you get plenty of time to look at them. Yeah. So it's, so it's self-aware that it's drawing something from this. Yeah. And the camera's just locked off and just, just yeah. got nothing to look at but all that stuff. Uh, and then directly after that, there's like a, a, a dance number, which is like a single take, which goes on for 12 minutes. So it's, a, it's an actual wonder? Mm-hmm. And then it... Uh, and then it goes into you know other things. There's like this. Uh, there's a single take, which is like forty two minutes. Wow. So, are we talking like Gus Van Sant style, where there it's a tracking shot and it's impressive that they pulled it off? Yeah, or it's is a handheld it... camera following people around and okay. like going through the dances. Mm-hmm. And, well, there's that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's impressive choreography. Uh, I find the actual people pretty tiresome. Mm. Uh, and the photography kind of dull. It's like that green and red stuff that I was tired of ten years ago. Hmm. Um, if you if you want to see, I, if you want to see this plot, um, watch Fame and <laughs> I Drink Your Blood. <laughs> All right. Um, Fame and I Drink Your Blood. Yeah. I get those two mixed yeah. up a lot. Let me see. Yeah. Over. I, I, yeah. I, have you seen either of those? Fame? Yeah. I've seen, maybe I haven't seen the the movie, but I Good. remember the series. Right. Yeah. But, uh, and I, not, I drink your blood. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if Richard's revealed my darth of knowledge when it comes to uh, horror. Uh, this one, this one's a tasteful <laughs> one about, uh, there's a bunch of, uh, like, uh, killer hippies, kind of Manson cult, and uh, the, uh, the locals decide to get their revenge by... Spiking their burgers with rabies, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which so they go even crazier. That's great. Because <laughs> we just watched Rabid. Oh yeah, yeah. isn't that uh, it's Cronenberg? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We're not afraid of Cronenberg. Yeah, this is pre pre Rabid, <laughs> early Cronenberg, especially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark of the Witch, nineteen seventies, directed by Tom Morse, is filmed around Dallas, but it's set in Lancashire, and you've got. Uh, Again, two places I would get confused. So it starts off with a witch being executed as she curses the Stuart family, and Mm. uh, yes, you you know you know where you are because she can't pronounce Lancashire or Valpurgis. Um, uh, Have they not heard "A Day in the Life" by the Beatles? That's how I know how to pronounce. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Paul, you're from Texas. Not Dallas. Well, not Dallas, but you're from <laughs> Texas. Uh, yeah, that's what they say. <clears throat> Do you ever wake up and think, "Yeah, hey, it's a nice day in England"? All the time, yeah. you know. It's it's yeah. usually uh, you know overcast and uh, yeah. <laughs> cool and 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 uh, <clears throat> and wet. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um. So then it, then it goes to uh, modern day, i.e. 1970. It's all bright, colourful, suburban hip, uh, kind of Brady Bunch. Um, mm. And uh, and the, the witch incarnates as a college student who then starts saying things like, uh, impudent lackwit. <laughs> lackwit. So people start to suspect something strange is going on. <clears throat> uh, during an invocation, she calls on Dagon. Oh, really? And goes semi-skyclad. <laughs> uh, there's a pretty cool uh, twist ending to it. 
Um, anyway, uh, the Devonsville Terror, 1983. This was filmed in uh, Wisconsin. Huh. Was uh, it doubling as anywhere else or no? I don't think so. Um, this is directed by Uli Lomel, who's done much better films. Uh, this one's got Donald Pleasance in it briefly. The, the, the Forger. Oh, he's a forger? Not in... He's in, in uh, The Great Escape. Oh, okay. yes. Right. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh, this is executive produced by Bill Rabane, who's filmed many of movie in Wisconsin. Um, this starts with a woman who's accused of witchcraft, and she gets fed to pigs. And another woman who get, who's been accused gets uh, tied to a, a burning wheel and rolled downhill. They're very creative in, yeah. in Devonsville. You know the the getting fed to pigs thing. We talked about that one episode. Yeah. Like it's like this became a trope, sort of. <laughs> you know, yeah. Paul, you probably don't watch movies where it's so much a trope. Well, there's, there's more pig feeding movies than I'll, I'll, I'll mention that I just watched the Deadwood movie, and so if oh, you're okay. familiar with the series, then you know that they do that. They dispose of bodies by feeding them to the pigs. They go to the the Chinatown part of Deadwood, and oh, they man. give the bodies to the Chinese, who then feed them to their pigs. Yeah. Okay. So that's how what I watched recently relates to it. <laughs> yes, it all, it all ties in. It does. Uh, all right, so uh, yeah, uh, which which movie am I on? Yeah, Devonsville Terror. Um, and then the third woman who's been accused uh, gets burned, and she is a witch. Wow. And uh, so she, she does her curse thing. And then you cut to 1983, uh, Devonsville. And it's pretty dull for most of it. Uh, but towards the end, you get this like uh, '80s uh, demons. <laughs> There's this demon, and, and it it is barely articulated, but it kind of can curl its lip. Uh, uh, so uh, yeah, uh, at the end, there's this witch that gets um, tied to a stake, and you know, like in in The Exorcist, uh, she can uh, her head can revolve somehow. Um, this witch can like spin herself on the stake. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so it goes round and round, and my, so like a rotisserie sort of. Yeah, and there's this laser beam eyes and lots of uh, explo- <clears throat> you know, some exploding head action. My favourite scene is when they're <laughs> tying up a witch to a stake, and uh, what they do to send the witches on their way because they're all good, you know, good Christians and stuff. Yes, uh, they they take turns spitting on her. Uh huh. And uh, she, as, as Jesus did. Yeah, and and uh, you know she she's. Um, she spits back at him. <laughs> it's like several minutes of people spitting on the witch and then her spitting back on him. It's a great spitting scene. You know, I would imagine that uh, there's more than a few people who that's, you know, sort of a thing. They don't mind some spit. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Something <laughs> yeah. for everyone these days. Yeah, there is. Uh, and then the last one I saw was Crazy Fat Ethel. This Crazy- is from 1973. Crazy Fat Have you seen that one? Never heard of it. Yeah, this is back when you could call movies crazy fat something. Oh, yeah, so and so. Yeah. Uh, so in this case, it's <clears throat> Ethel. Uh, this is directed by Steve Millard under the name of Nick Phillips. And he was produced by his mother. Um, <laughs> this is also known as Criminally Insane. Stars uh, Priscilla Allen as Ethel. She's released from an asylum to go and live with uh, her grandma. And uh, she's uh, she's convinced that her grandmother is starving her so she kills her oh and then she kills the grocery delivery boy and wow. then she kills a whole bunch of other people 
and uh, this was followed in 1987 by Crazy Fat Elfle 2. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Also starring Priscilla Allen. <laughs> oh, God. That was the, the Fat Panic era. Right? It was. <laughs> the, yeah. When the fatophobes were yeah. making all these hateful movies. <laughs> oh, Lordy. What else you got? That's it. That's it? And then I saw, uh, last night I watched uh, Tremors Cold Day in Hell. Oh, so you got... last year, because I'm, I don't have any of the Tremors movies, but this was on uh, Netflix. Oh, all right. So oh, part five yeah. or six, what did you say it was? This is number six. Six. Well, Paul, what, what have you watched lately? The aforementioned uh, Deadwood movie. Yeah. Which follows up the the uh, canceled, in, in the opinion of many, prematurely canceled Deadwood series from HBO from, I think it ended over 10 years ago. That is so weird. And, um, Ten years already. Yeah. And we, but I, I didn't watch it contemporaneously when it was on. I, I, uh, we got into it a couple of years ago um, because we probably didn't have HBO at the time. Yeah. And then uh, we, so we watched it last night and it was sort of a tying up, I suppose, loose ends and because they didn't, you know, they, they ended on a cliffhanger, I think. So, but it, it takes place 10 years after the, the previous uh, season ended. So, hmm. um, but Ian McShane um, mm. and uh, Timothy, Timothy Oliphant. Oliphant. Yeah. Yes, I'll watch him in anything. He, they're both. That's the that's the dynamic of the show. Is those yeah. two? Is Timothy Oliphant is the really straight sheriff slash uh, hardware store owner, right? Um, and then Ian McShane's kind of the town boss, the the crime boss but with a heart of gold or whatever, you know. Yeah. But he could, he's still capable of some really um, heinous uh, <laughs> violence. <laughs> but, um, and of course, I know of your no-spoiler policy for your recent watches. Yeah. So I, but, I mean, it's the, the real... Um, you could tell. You could tell the listeners put the on their baddie, earmuffs for a second. The baddie in this, who was the baddie in the third season... Of uh, of the the seer of the TV show was is Gerald McRaney, is that his name? The uh, major dad, yeah, yeah, Gerald McRaney, sure. who plays uh, this guy Hurst, who is uh, uh, sort of a a crime boss and uh, and and millionaire, um, who's now become the first state senator of uh, South Dakota, which was formerly the Dakota Territory, and mm-hmm. so they have they they're celebrating their recent statehood in the new movie and <clears throat> and he's back in town as the senator and renewing old rivalries and taking advantage of the townsfolk and it's you know it's a it's a new western kind of a thing yeah. and it's famously David Milch I think is the uh combo director and uh screenwriter and he's the uh he's known for these really grandiloquacious um <laughs> like monologues these mm-hmm. uh the characters have this almost shakespearean delivery mixed with really the foulest languages on uh cable tv oh, okay um and it's so it's it's a it's an enjoying you know kind of a lightweight show but we yeah. we like the movie so like if uh aaron sorkin was just a little grittier it's no it's different than sorkin <laughs> it's a little more like I, people would actually say it unlike sorkin stuff no, they wouldn't. It still doesn't. <laughs> still it doesn't quite. Um, I'm trying to remember the actor's name. One of the great character actors of all time, Larry from uh, Larry Daryl and Daryl, okay. uh, and and uh, uh, he's in uh, the first uh, 
um, Blade Runner. Okay, yeah, uh, they're my friends. I make them. Um, yeah, I forget his name, but I know he's, exactly you're talking he about. He plays the character E.B. Farnham in the series in the the movie, and he's amazing. I mean, he st- always steals every scene he's in, and he has the most, um, <laughs> like, uh, convoluted kind of dialogue until he gets to his point. And it's just, uh, it's very entertaining hearing it with his <clears throat> delivery, because of his he has a strong Southern accent. Um, and then also we watched uh, Chernobyl recently. How was that? That is a that is excellent. That is maybe I mean one of the best. It's a mini series more than it's a a, a show, but right. uh, it's really compelling. And it's only five um, five episodes or five installments, but they're almost feature length each one of them. So they range from a little over an hour to maybe ninety minutes to. Um, 100 minutes long oh boy and it's grim yeah of course the real thing <clears throat> i don't know if i mentioned this on the show or not um i was a young man at the time that that happened um and one of my jobs within <clears throat> within uh i don't know months after that incident was working at a deli in chicago and there was a a particular premium ham that came from uh poland and it wasn't far from Chernobyl, apparently, you know, as the crow flies, it wasn't that far. So the um, the Crocus brand mm-hmm. um, ham was, it would show up six cases, or I'm sorry, six tins, 10 pound tins to a case. And uh, after Chernobyl, uh, it would say one out for testing, written in, you know, in by hand on the outside of a uh, cardboard box and you'd open it up and there'd be five tins in it and i was starting to think you know is it possible that there's just some some you know union dock worker guys like uh hey you know that thing where we're supposed to take them out and send one to the lab <laughs> you know take it home take one out of each case yeah mm. not one out of the you know the truckload and, and they were seriously like testing it for radiation and stuff having watched the show then i did a bunch of supplemental reading and that's absolutely true that they livestock and all sorts of agricultural products from all over europe were contaminated Ugh. and uh, and the extent to which they really were uh has always been you know um a point of contention because the soviets uh secrecy about the entire accident right has led to i mean the was one of the sort sort of the greatest tragedy was the the terrible response yeah and in 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 you know seeking not to to be embarrassed by this incident um they they kept under reporting and and uh you know and denying things that were affected. Yeah. Um, and they had to admit that they didn't even acknowledge there had been an accident until Sweden found out, like, there was so much radiation in the air in Sweden, thousands of kilometers away, yeah. that um, they were forced to acknowledge it to the international community that there had been an incident in Chernobyl. And I don't want to... Obviously, what happened is known, yeah. so it's not like there's a lot of spoilers, but, I mean, watching the series, you can really see the um i don't know the the layering the palimpsest of 
of the the, the bureaucratic the bureaucratic um, barriers to <laughs> yeah to the response and to the the rest of the world knowing about this and and how they dealt with the problem and the the really good people in the Soviet side who were really trying to fix the problem and then the the layers of bureaucracy they had to deal with um, in order to do that and uh, and it starts I mean it's starts off pretty bleak. Like, I mean, the very oh, first yeah. scene is a suicide. So that'll give you um, a little... <laughs> that gives you an insight into the tone of the entire series. That's <laughs> that that's probably one of the least bleak scenes. So... Um, now it doesn't show this guy, like, shoot himself. And then it, then it goes, 18 months earlier. Dum, dum, da, 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 everything's fine. <laughs> it, it's kind of like that. He doesn't, doesn't shoot himself. Do no. Um, it's a... So, it's a um, a nuclear physicist who was uh, on the one of the was on the response team yeah. to the accident <clears throat> and um, dealing with his guilt about the cover up, um, and he committed suicide two years to the second after the explosion. Oh, and that's it's a true story. I mean, that's the thing about the series is that, uh, but for one character, I think everything is pretty well documented historically having happened. Um, they really tried to get it right, down to the school children uniforms in this is the uh, Chernobylism in what's now the Ukraine. So, right. um, so they tried to get every detail pretty well um, in there. So, so is, is that on? Um, that's on HBO. It's HBO. HBO. Okay. So I was wondering if that would play in Japan because uh, Fukushima is yeah. just like oh, that. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting thing too in terms of how they solve some of the problems with the radiation and the, the their meters only went up to a certain level so they didn't realize how high uh the rentgens the the you know they had these uh dosimeters which are telling you your radiation dose but they were for small scale doses um which would be found in a typical working environment in a nuclear power plant and so <laughs> their meters were woefully insufficient so anyway they tried to get robots to clear some of the radioactive debris following the disaster mm -hmm. and the robots the circuitry all goes bad with high doses of radiation sure you can't get <clears throat> machinery to work you can't get anything that uses electric magnets to work nothing so they had to use people yeah which is the the most horrific part of it sure is you have to send people into there to do things because there's no you can't even use mechanical you couldn't even take a bulldozer yeah in there Oh, that's right. So everything is moved by hand. Ugh. That's just awful. <laughs> it's awful. Wow, it's going to make tremors sound like, uh, I don't know. The body count tremors is far lower. Yeah. yeah. I'll say that. I, I, I added them up. Yeah. I was going to say. By, but, by several hundred thousand, I think. I was going to say, it's going to make... It's going to make it seem like Willy Wonka, but that was pretty grim, too. <laughs> but um, for me, was that it for you recently? That's it. Recently? Um, for me, the only thing I really had time for slash made time for was the Netflix original series Black Summer, which I originally shied away from it because I tried watching a couple episodes of Z Nation, and it just felt like you know, sci-fi channel doing their own version of the walking dead. And, um, I don't have much patience left for, um, zombie apocalypse stuff. Now it better be outstanding and it better be 
a different tone. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably go and see the new Jim Jarmusch. I will see that. See, that's funny. That's the other thing I will I will abide is is that new Jim Jarmusch film. Um, what's it called? Uh, Dead, Dead Don't Die. The Dead Don't Die. Yeah, it's got Bill Murray and uh, the guy who should be playing Joey Ramone. What the hell's wrong with you, Adam Driver? <laughs> I mean, that's what he was born to do. I'm just looking at the guy saying, you know, quit hitting the the protein shakes and the weights. <laughs> Just, you know, get skinny and, and before you're too grow, old to do it. Grow your bangs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, grow your bangs. Get your googly glasses on and let's do this. Um, but I watched Black Summer. Uh, I, I heard on, uh, I think it was Horror Hound Radio. It's another horror podcast. Um, they were talking about this and uh, one of them was saying that he was hesitant to give it a chance and gave it a chance and liked it. And I thought, well, you know, I've met some of these guys and, I, um, and I've listened to all their episodes and I, and I can kind of know whether the opinion is one that I might jive with or not. And, uh, I went with it. So, um, this was produced by the asylum, the same company that did Z nation, but the similarities kind of end there. Uh, it is, uh, kind of set in a suburban area and then you will see some sort of industrial areas nearby, but basically it's just following characters around and they just do like a little, um, a title card and then into another vignette and then a title card and into another vignette and you start wondering are these going to tie together and then some of them eventually do um this uh is gritty and grim and there are the the episodes run from 20 some odd to 40 ish minutes depending on whether it's trying to be a half hour or an hour of television uh if you were to add commercials in this is uh, bleak and when there's little or no dialogue, I really dig it. When they start trying to like talk about characters' motivations and strategies and stuff, I'm not as interested. I still watched it, but you know, I found it much more interesting when they're just like trying to run like hell and get another car or something. And uh, the infected or the zombies, whatever you want to call them, occur as soon as someone's dead or bitten and infected. And they are fast. So... Uh, the filming style is is really just uh, a lot of it's very um, handheld and and quick and it's 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 worth a look for anyone who was looking for something if they're sick of um, the poor writing on The Walking Dead and if you're sick of these copycat movies that aren't doing anything original this one is actually really cool um, and I pulled up the uh, Wikipedia page because there's a quote from Stephen King I wanted to actually read it accurately. Uh, existential hell in the suburbs stripped to the bone and it's like that's great <laughs> uh, Stephen King is like yeah you know like I can get behind this but uh, uh, you see uh, eight episodes and uh, this all dropped in April and I finally just watched it um, you know a couple months later but it's worth a look for anyone who's looking for something like that and has Netflix. Um, and Tremors, of course. I watched that. I lent you uh, the Blu-ray of uh, The Creep. Creeping. Did not get to watch that okay. yet, but I'm going to for sure. Uh, and I just had to get past the uh, past the part of building the fence where we're fighting the weather mm. or the weather's fighting us, or I should say the weather's kicking our asses. Um, so like there were some days where it's like, okay, I'm going to start as soon as I'm home from work or I'm going to start on, on the weekend, like 8 a.m. and then do everything until about 
what's decent to your neighbors is nine o'clock to where you start using saws and stuff that's a little noisy. Uh, I worked a couple of days that were like 10 or 11 hours with not a whole lot of stopping just to try and get this damn thing done. And sometimes it rains on you for an hour and then it stops and you get back to it. And that's why I haven't really watched much. Um, Netflix is different because uh, I can watch it on any screen in the house. Whereas the Blu-ray is, you know, I could disturb my better half with, you know, having it on here. But um, that's it for me uh, recently. And and my hope is to, uh, of course, Tremors, uh, my hope is to get my life back to normal soon. And I, you know, moving into a house that has a lot of projects that need done, uh, your life ain't normal for months. And this is like month three. Life ain't normal. Well, the, the fence looks fantastic. Well, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, of course, some of the boards will warp, and I'll go through and replace them. Other than that, no, it's structurally it's there. Uh, guys, we watched Tremors because we missed 1990. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, yeah, it, it was uh, you hinted at this earlier. You are not a known horror fan. Yeah, I you know I've seen uh, you know just as part of your natural exposure to the the world at large i've seen a few horror movies but mm-hmm. uh i'm not uh actively seeking them out so right. i i don't have a, a really extensive knowledge but i i remember seeing this when i was wow 1990 i was like 11 yeah or 12 with my brother and my mother and we we must have rented it from blockbuster or something yeah and, and my brother and i not wanting to walk on the floor <laughs> After <laughs> we were jumping from item of furniture to item of furniture, yeah, at least for the rest of the day, you you played the hot lava game, yeah, except for it was angry sandworm, game. Yeah, 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 graboids, graboids, <laughs> such a great term. What was that character's name? Walter. That named Walter him. Chang. Yeah, Walter, Walter Chang. Chang. <laughs> he named him from uh, the, the, the classic China. Yeah, that's right, Victor Wong. Yeah, yeah. I do know Big Trouble in Little China because mm. how could you not? Now, yep, yep. You, you, although you're not a horror fan, you do know an awful lot about dinosaurs. I sure do. I'm a Excellent. nerd. I'm still a nerd. <laughs> so so if, if someone were to say, uh, is Jurassic Park part horror movie? Well, I would say, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of horror movie woven in there. And you could probably look at any one of those yeah. dinosaurs and tell us... It's got all the... Stuff about them. All the tropes are there. There's the jump scares yeah. and there's the, uh, the sort of chase it's a long yeah you know extended kind of running away from the 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 danger kind of part of it and and yeah and especially they do a good job of and that's a very spielbergy thing yeah uh, that that's horror related which is not giving the game away immediately yeah you don't show the rex you don't show the velociraptors until you're well into the movie you know yeah and that same thing in tremors yeah in fact i wrote down the time <clears throat> on that, we don't see our first graboid till 26 minutes into the movie. And that's just the snaky part, right? You right. don't see the big guy. Right. Yeah. And the, and so we're talking about in, in a what I assume was about a 90-minute movie, um, it's a third of the way into it before you get a glimpse of it. You see some of what it's done, or you see the ground moving, but you don't actually see one. Um, I don't know if I, I pulled up there. Um, let's see. Uh... Uh, what's the time on this thing? Um, 96 minutes. So it's just six minutes outside the Barnes limit. But, uh, do you know what that is? I can, I'm guessing it's, a, it's Will Barnes, is uh, a, uh, our co-host. Yeah, Will. He, he said, he says famously, um, yeah, if, if you keep it under 90 minutes, you can make it about anything you want and I'll watch it. There you go. 
<laughs> yeah, you think so? Like comedies and horror movies, especially if they go over ninety minutes, they better have a really good reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they can. Yeah, but absolutely, it's, it's far rarer that they do have a good reason mm-hmm. yeah. than, than that they go over ninety minutes because they they all go over ninety minutes now. Yeah, comedies that are two and a half hours, uh, stop it. Yeah. If it were hilarious the whole way through, I don't need that much hilarious. You know what? I like cake. I don't want to eat a whole fucking cake. Mind, mind you, every now and then I'll watch uh, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. And that sucker's over three hours long. <laughs> is it really? Oh, it, it's something you can tell like by that. the it's number ridic- of mads. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. ridiculously long. And it's not funny at all. <laughs> it's kind of mildly amusing. They said it was mad. They didn't say it was a funny, 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 yeah, funny world. Yeah, and it's world. got all these like uh, veteran comedians in there, yeah. you know. Uh, but it's it's just not funny. It's like the wrong director or something. But yeah, it's an ensemble cast. Uh, no, I also enjoy watching it. But yeah, were most of them out of their prime, if I remember right? Yeah, they're they're kind of like going back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some quite elderly people yeah. in there. I, there's that that that's a genre of movie where it's this sort of ensemble, uh, madcap. And there's usually some kind of a MacGuffin or a chase, like a chase, yeah. a chase or a race or a whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they stop making. I'm trying to remember. I guess the Ocean's Eleven kind of fall in those. Yeah. Uh, that, but then there's rat race. Rat race. Yeah. yeah I was just thinking about. Yeah. Um, um, and the Italian Job or something. Oh yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's the Great Race. Uh, um, those magnificent men in the flying s- machines. Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> cannonball Run. Yeah, Cannonball Run. Yeah. So. Um, I guess the, what two and a half hours? We don't need it. No, Will's not no, wrong. I can't cut mm. it. Cut it off at about ninety. Minutes. It was ideal last <clears throat> night because I don't get much sleep anyway now. So yeah, yeah. Well, you're a dad. Yeah, and you I get, have a one year old who's up three times a night. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was Stephen King who talked about it in Dance Macabre or something, but like uh, about ninety minutes, it feels like the length of a dream. Yeah, a, a nightmare or something. Um, and longer than that, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, um, I, I would agree. Except for those Hobbit movies, not the Lord of the Rings, but the Hobbit. Oh, three! I could give me eight hours of those. Yeah, <laughs> just, right. I never watched any of them. Everybody was like, "Oh god, they were so long and tiresome." Yeah, like, I didn't like those. No, they were wretched. I thought. So, so. Do I have it right when when someone says, "Oh, it's a Hobbit movie," so you basically took a Lord of the Rings movie, shook all the other good stuff out of it, and just kept the Hobbits part of it, <laughs> and then you made other adventures with them in it? Whether Tolkien well, fantasy movies, I can watch long ones. Well, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I know some of my favorite movies are like uh, 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 like The Human Condition, seven hours something. Damn. Uh, War wow. and Peace is over seven hours. <laughs> wow. Um, the the Russian one. Yeah. Uh, I love those. Yeah, Terrence and, uh, Malick. Yeah, but com- comedies and nightmares, not so. Yeah, uh, horror movies. Yeah, uh, but then you know, Dawn and Dead's my favorite horror movie ever, and that's two and a half. Is it two and a half? That's over two hours long, isn't it? Wow. It depends on. I mean, obviously, it's the strength of the narrative structure mm-hmm. and and the t- the turns that the story can take, and a good director or a good screenwriter or both. Yeah. And a good editing crew can you know I think you can make good movie at any length just like you can make good art about anything it's not sure. about mm-hmm. subject matter or you know uh, but but as a rule you know i think in terms of i think saying 
more with less is is a skill unto itself. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. uh, and being succinct and uh, that's really like as an artist, I think economy is the biggest challenge. And I don't I don't meet <laughs> that. Yeah. I'm a, I'm the opposite of an economic guy when it comes to mark making. But well, yeah, I look at like. Um, if anyone is familiar with uh, Hari and Deep Tea, yeah, uh, you know, uh, Hari would draw something, um, and with with the fewest lines possible, he would make this creature feel like it was doing the thing, or you know, emoting or whatever. Uh, and I couldn't do it with, you know, a hundred times <laughs> that many lines, or you know, I'd need lots of erasers, and I, I just wouldn't be able to pull it off. And this guy, he can just say, "All right, well." He did, for example, like this Sasquatch type character hugging a Christmas tree, and he's he's just kind of kind of climbing it, but kind of hugging it, mm-hmm. and it was really super cool. And it it's like so few lines, just yeah. a few shapes, and he could do that. Um, and if and you could follow them on Instagram also, where they are Hari and Deep Tea, spelled H A R I and D E E P T I. So uh, look them up. They do a lot of cut paper stuff now that's backlit. And that's mostly what their Instagram is going to be. But both of them are, you know, drawers and painters. I did get some good advice years ago. I used to do caricatures at a a theme park that had a certain amount of flags. And uh, the seven uh, or fewer, yeah, it was between five and seven, yes. And uh, but it, the idea was when you're drawing the bodies on these characters because people would request, Oh, make me a ninja, make me a superhero. Somebody said, If you does, if it doesn't read as a silhouette, it's not going to read. Mm. So a- if you can, you know, if you can tell what the action is without any interior information, yeah. then, uh-huh. you've, then you've succeeded, yeah, yeah, that's good for comics, yeah, well. yeah. that does make sense. I like that. Yeah, a good silhouette is what they always look for in fashion, too. You know, that's one of the main things. Like, what's that silhouette like when, when you mm-hmm. see anybody talking about fashion? That's the same thing. But we're talking about tremors, where fashion <laughs> <laughs> is very 1990. Uh, do, you, do you get the cold open on this thing? What, what do we first see on screen? Yeah. Kevin, Kevin Bacon uh, urinating and then picking his butt. Yeah, foreshadowing his Wild Things shower scene. <laughs> <laughs> full frontal bacon oh. right uh, I, I was th- one of the notes I was thinking uh, about was that he's kind of a combination of Kevin Bacon from Footloose uh-huh. and like James <clears throat> Dean from Giant or something uh-huh. in this w- w- without the coolness <laughs> right <laughs> Like some people may think Kevin Bacon's cool. You haven't seen a James Dean movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a little <laughs> few degrees cooler. But he's cool and I mean he's, you know, I think his performance is far and away the strongest in the movie. Well, sure. Because uh I mean he does these great little I don't I don't know if the changes are his, but he'll repeat a line for emphasis occasionally. He'll be like, "What the hell is going on?" I mean, "What the hell is going on?" you know. <laughs> 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 that's true. He does kind of do that. And then and it, I, like that's the school of Matthew McConaughey or something like that. Oh, I mean, the yeah. genesis of it. Yeah. Yeah. I could I could say that whenever I see one of these guys on the screen that that uh like there's not a Kevin Bacon type and there's not a Matthew McConaughey type. Those guys are unique to their own, mm-hmm. you know, style of performance. And you can see, like we we did, we covered um, Stir of Echoes, mm-hmm. and Kevin Bacon in that is not like what he's like mm-hmm. in this. 
<clears throat> so he he will look at the material, and you can tell that he cares about what he's doing, um, even though he's done a lot of stuff that isn't exactly Shakespeare, and it's not exactly um, gunning for any Academy Awards either. Uh, he's he's going to still put a lot into it, so people will look at it and he, say, he well... Has a, yeah, he's got a great collection of performances. I think yeah. the, his villain in The River Wild is yeah. Yeah. terrifying. He's yeah. good in that one. Yeah, he can be a sympathetic character, or he can be villainous. I've not seen that one. So David Strathairn, Meryl Streep, Joseph Mazzello. Oh, yeah, the, the kayaking or something. Yeah, they're, they're whitewater rafting, and he yeah. and John C. Riley are escape cons or criminals or whatever drug dealers i don't know what they are and they basically in i don't know they embed themselves in meryl streep's little river excursion and and take advantage of her to kind of make an escape i don't know where they're going canada or something you know yeah and uh but he's genuinely he's pretty scary in that one so uh you first saw this at 11 years old yeah yeah. yeah, for me it was much, <laughs> much later than that. <clears throat> well, I should say I was older than that. Um, I would say uh, I know going into this that it's going to be more funny and it's going to be self-aware that it's funny and it's not trying to be a serious horror movie, but it doesn't really pull punches either on on following some of the some of the um, gimmicks and some of the tropes. Uh, it, and, and delivering some of the actual scares and some of the actual gore. So you do get some of all, all that stuff you're looking for in a horror movie, but it's also trying to be kind of... Could we say this is exploitation, Jolian? Are we exploiting Hicks with this one? Because <laughs> they're all Hicks. There's not a single person who's not a Hick. Yeah, and, and it's one of the things I like about this series. It's like working class guys yeah. and a diverse bunch of characters getting together and... Sorting out the problems without the yeah. aid of, uh, you know, they don't, they don't have recourse to the military or yeah. science or or anywhere secure to live. And, you know, if, if their house gets torn down, that's it. They're done. So it's like the thing. <laughs> Except. Or attack the block or something sure. like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like one of those 50s things where people have to band together. and Yeah. Yeah, you're all isolated. In it. Yeah, attack the block's a good one as well. Yeah, yeah. but it has that. Because this this small community, yeah, and, and 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 this seems like it's everybody in the whole town. Population fourteen. What was it? Perfection. <laughs> Perfection, Perfection Nevada. Name of the town. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, so I like the fact that uh, that that uh, the two the two main characters at the beginning are talking about uh, the odd jobs they have to do, and uh, I think it was Kevin Bacon's character that said, "Handy men." We're handy men. <laughs> and it's like, no, you guys are just sort of like the, you know. <laughs> the do, yeah, do whatever for yeah, a buck. The jack of all trades, master yeah. of none. But, you know, they, someone's got to do it. They decide to pack up and leave town, though, which was kind of surprising. It didn't seem like their characters would be thinking that big. Well, that sets up the the, the first arc, which is that they can't get out of town because of each, yeah. you know, because each body they discover or whatever. Yeah, they see that guy up in the phone pole. Yeah, Edgar. Edgar. Yeah, Edgar didn't make it. Died of dehydration. See, that's a. That was a case though where I thought they didn't play it for a jump scare, but they could have. He could have gotten all the way up and then turned him around and dead yeah. body. Yeah. But they slowly kind of pull in and it's dead body. Yeah. So I mean, they you know, there's there's definitely places you could punch it up if you really wanted to go full on horror. 
Yeah. Yeah, Rob Zombie's Tremors. <laughs> that, guy, that guy looked kind of like Rob Zombie. <laughs> he kind of did. Um, all of the, uh, the, the, the sequels um, were direct-to-video. So it seemed like they didn't have a lot of faith in it. <laughs> well, it, didn't, it didn't do well at the first movie. At the box office? No. Oh, oh. I think, yeah. It, I think it, it became a cult thing after a while, after showing up on video. That's when we first heard about it, I think. We must have seen it on a shelf. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of stuff back in those days, you know, late 80s, early 90s, a lot of stuff would be like uh, bad timing or up against something else at the box office. I feel like Coen Brothers weren't like a box office thing until Never. much later, if, yeah. if at all. It right. was always, but you were always hearing about it because you'd see it on the shelf. Like, what's Raising Arizona? What's, right. The Big know, Lebowski. Yeah, what's Blood Simple? And, uh, yeah. and our copy of Blood Simple was of like a secondhand viewed copy yeah on vhs because we had you know that's what we used to do is buy all the ones that had already been watched to the point where the tracking was no longer fixable right a simple plan is a good example oh, yeah. of of something that just you squirm the whole time uh <laughs> talk about suspense that is such a good feel it yeah. really is and billy bob gives a great performance in that one he and bill paxton yeah oh my god it's it's amazing yeah it's i remember I, yeah, that one is a. That's a yeah, that's a nail biter, and it doesn't need to be, but it is. Yeah. Uh, so um, so the uh, so the two handymen are basically um, a simple plan. Sam Raimi. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Pre Spider Man Raimi. Yeah, it was post. A, so that wasn't a Coen Brothers. No. No. Oh. I thought you were just, but it's in that. Yeah. It fits right into that, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, especially early Cohen. Yeah, it's, it kind of like feels Bart like it's part. Like Fink or one of those. Yeah. I don't know why I was Miller's thinking Crossing. of Cohen Brothers. Are you thinking of Miller's Crossing as kind of... Maybe. Like, uh, well, yeah. yeah. Period, I knew which Period gangster film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Miller's Crossing. Yeah. And of course, uh, well, I, I, I was thinking of Simple Plan when I said Simple Plan, but for some reason I was thinking it was Cohen Brothers. But Sam Raimi, that makes sense too. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Sam that, Raimi... That's another like a rural... Like, yeah. yeah, it's like wintertime rural. And there's a yeah. plane crash, and they find the big duffel bag full of money, and that's yeah. like the first ten minutes of the movie. And, and it'll be gotten yeah. cash for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not just like oh, <laughs> no one's gonna miss this. It's like <laughs> it turns out someone's gonna miss this. <laughs> Worst people possible. <laughs> yeah, and they're gonna come looking for it. That that's reminding me of that. What's the other Bill Paxton movie that's the supernatural one where his kids, he's he's like possessed or he's can hmm. you think of this one like, hmm. that one is more of a straight up horror almost let's see which one are we talking about well, same see. era same like hmm. simple plan era let's see we'll just do <laughs> we'll, we'll check this here post weird science pre titanic <laughs> right it was a horror movie though yeah it might be actually post titanic yeah but, um, let's see uh, we'll, we'll look. Uh, let's see. That one's pretty good. Known for aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Game uh, over. Yeah, man. That is some great stuff. Let's see. Uh, I'll have to take a peek at the titles. 20 years. Yeah, I was going to say, it's going to be... It's going to be back in the 90s, you said? Yeah. Be- well, maybe early Before Twister? <laughs> no. Uh, let's see. Uh, simple plan. Mighty Joe. Mighty Joe Young. <laughs> yeah, no? no, no, but frailty. Funny, that the director of uh, of uh, Tremors did Mighty Joe Young. 
Oh. Well, that Frailty is the movie. That's oh, it, it is Frailty? Yep. Okay. He plays Dad Meeks. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Have you... Yeah. I don't think I've seen that one. He's a serial killer, and he has two young sons, the younger of whom idolizes and believes Hmm. in his cause. And 20 years later, the elder son walks into a police station and confesses. I remember that one being pretty dark. Maybe not a true horror, but... Yeah. So, um, what what was it? uh, uh, What's Kevin Bacon? What's his character called? Should we call him by the character name? Valentine McKee? Um, So, Val says something about being a victim of circumstance. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, his buddy uh, Earl is that his brother? His buddy's name? Fred Ward. Yeah, yeah. yeah Fred Ward. Uh, his, his character says, "I thought you call it your pecker." <laughs> so these two are just a just a couple of brainiacs out on the scene, and and uh, and they're they're uh, what are we waiting? Nine minutes into the movie, we see the first ground tremor, and uh, not long after we meet these characters and see what they're up to, they decide to hell with everything. We're leaving town. We're, we're moving out of perfection and we're going to go. After they get sprayed by a septic tank hose. I, yeah. I, that was the last straw, wasn't I it? I think. They're like. We, we, I'd leave too. Yeah. We could do better than this. <laughs> and, you know, they probably could. Even those two dummies could probably do better than this. And uh, that's perfection Nevada for you. <laughs> do you think places like that are named ironically? Or do you think somebody's actually like founded this town and went, you know what, this is everything I'm looking for? Because <laughs> you know, there, there's places that just the name uh, the name belies the actual mm. you know the meaning of the place. The <laughs> um, they're looking for a beach without all that pesky water. Yeah, yeah, for example, yeah, <laughs> or something that used to be a beach 20 million years ago. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for, yeah another good example. Um, uh, the the uh, the young girl who's bouncing on the pogo stick. Of course, that's a foreshadowing to, you know, any thumps in the ground. Um, Six hundred and forty bounces is what she was up to on the pogo stick. Perhaps she awoke awoke the uh, these dormant creatures. Do you think she had a part in it? I don't know. Uh, well, they're doing road construction too, right? Well, sure. There's that. There's it's just know. coincidentally, there's a you know a geologist. A uh, grad student doing seismography experiments. Yeah. In the in the vicinity, right at the same time. These. Yeah. Is that is that the kind of job where you typically lose your pants in the course of a day? Seismology. Yeah. yeah. Well. They if, normally stay on, don't they? If your name is Rhonda, and you're, you know. <laughs> you're a reasonably attractive woman. And this is a kind of a quasi B, you know, <laughs> horror movie. The pants are coming off. It's not. It's the movie doesn't pass the Bechdel test. It's gonna. There's. <laughs> There's like, you know, four female characters or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And she's the only one that has extensive dialogue. Yeah. But at least she didn't, you know, the doc's wife gets the worst of it, I think. We'll talk about later. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so this uh, this thing um, uh, sort of uh, comes out of the ground and grabs the, grabs the vehicle as they're trying to leave town. Is that how that goes down? Or they end up... So they find the first dead body. So they go up the telephone pole, have yeah. to bring him back. Doc says he died of dehydration. Yeah. Then they're going, and they pass by the the sheep herder, and his he and his whole flock are dead. Oh, so that's So then right. they go back and tell um, that there's a they think there's a killer on the loose, like a serial killer. Or yeah. Something. Right, and then they're out going out 
town, and then they're the road construction crew is the last one, right? That's what it was. That guy gets dragged. Yeah, and that causes a rock slide. Yeah, that's what it was. I was I was thinking it was something underneath their truck, but it's a rock slide blo- blocking the road. And that's the first maybe. Well, no, I think the uh, the first gruesome visual is the sheep herder's head. Oh yeah, they, under his hat. <laughs> yeah, but then they, when the the jackhammer going down into the ground and the blood coming up is a pretty good one. Yeah, that's pretty gory too. Um, so was that guy supposed to be pulled under the ground or was his head supposed to be missing and covered up with his hat? Because I kind of assumed that the creatures pulled him down under the ground and his hat just sort of flopped over into place as he got pulled down. I, it, I couldn't make sense of which it actually was. I, I saw the Hicks read it as his head was missing from his body, but I read it as his body was pulled under the ground. Well, I think that's probably what that's that's intentional. Like they think he, you know, his head was severed and it's laying on the ground. Yeah, and so they don't know that it's a, something pulled him under. Yeah. So that's the whole. That's why they think there's an above ground serial killer. Yeah. Not a subterranean Not monster. Not a subterranean monster. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything in? Uh, in the world of dinosaurs, even remotely similar to this thing? I don't think it's physically possible to get above a certain size and live underground. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and, and move that quickly. I mean, you can no. burrow underground and, sure. you know, have it. But digging takes a long time. Yeah. <laughs> even in, you know, very loose soil. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. So that, that makes us think... Pretty much 100% fantasy. Yeah, but it's, yeah. I mean, Godzilla, you could say, well, at least, you know, there were giant lizards that... Yeah, you have you have burrowing creatures in that franchise, like uh, Baragon, yeah. things like that can dig along. But in, in Japanese mythology, there's there's creatures that cause, uh, said to cause earthquakes that, you know, when they're moving around underground. Oh, wow, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Like uh, catfish, giant catfish. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> giant catfish causing earthquakes. Or uh, giant spiders and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we see the characters sort of gradually start to figure something's wrong, and they don't really realize that there's, you know, some other force at work. Yeah, so it's, it's very much in the 50s mode of mm-hmm. monster yeah. movie, especially. Uh, like, yeah, it reminded me of them, and especially, yeah. and... and uh, um, it came from outer space. You have them thinking, "Oh, there's something in the wires," and you yeah. have all these like desert telegraph wires. Yeah. There's just some weird humming going on, and they don't know what it is. And it very gradually builds up to a reveal of what's actually going on. What I like about this, though, is it does not delve deeply into the origins of mm-hmm. it. Just the story. It doesn't matter. Yeah, they're just there. Because why would you sit around and worrying about that? When you you're no. running for your life, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I like that that there's that you know, and it suits the pacing of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's good that we have a seismologist and not some you know pesky anthropologist or um, archaeologist or paleontologist. <laughs> you know, somebody who's going to start looking into that shit. You know, so yeah. we just need a seismologist who says, "Hey, look at these crazy vibrations." Yeah, and she can tell you how many there are. Yeah, that's you know that seems to be the only role for her occupation is yeah it's uh, is uh, figuring out how many there are and, and then lo- losing and, her pants right and by extension well yeah because that, yeah. that the other reason she's there is she's the eye candy and the love interest for the lead you know yeah and the loser of pants yeah yeah so <laughs> there we go and uh do you th- do you think she ends up with kevin bacon 
Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Valentine. Do you think she ends up with Valentine? Well, I mean, in long term. Yeah. Well, does she end up with him? Don't they kiss at the end? I, do spoiler they? Spoiler alert. But, yeah. Well, yeah, I, th- I guess they, they do. do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought they were like, oh, gosh, gee, I don't know. But I guess maybe... Well, and that's another refreshing thing is he's kind of insecure, Lothario. You know, he doesn't quite have the... the that stupid bravado thing. Right, the, yeah. the machismo. He's just kind of a, you know... He's a, a dumbass and he knows yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, and that's good. He doesn't have the confidence, even with... I mean, his his dream woman is some supermodel, leggy woman, blonde, whatever. And then yeah. even with this sort of modest, more modest-looking grad student who's kind of nebbish and whatever, yeah. he's still a little shy. Yeah. So, you know, it could have been... I like that angle, too. I think everything is a little more... <laughs> yeah. You know, conservative. Played played a little smarter on this one. Yeah, because there, there are a lot of these characters in movies that are just like... Uh, you know, I'm a big dumbass, and I'm going to get my way. Well, and you th- if you think yeah. about it, you compare it to the thing. I mean, can you imagine if Val was Kurt Russell instead of <laughs> Kevin Bacon? Kevin Bacon is such a like a, a zigging instead of zagging as far yeah. as a casting choice. And yeah. I think that's that's why I would, I'd say like this has more of like a Joe Dante kind of a feel to right. it. Right. You know, it's yeah. got that po- poking fun at itself, but also. You know, these characters are likable and more relatable because none of them yeah. is necessarily heroic. Yeah. It's like a, the Scream franchise. You have this this supposedly small town mm-hmm. and the, the the genes there in that, that town are just amazing because everyone's a model. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, just, it just feels like you're watching the CW. Yeah, the only kind of losery guy is Dewey. Yeah, so it's more convincing when you have like a, an actual small town where people are not sure about the outside world. And they, they... Well, there is something interesting to be said about um, a gene pool. Um, and I'll give you an example of this. Uh, when I was younger and uh, working in concrete work in Chicago, uh, there's a, um, an affluent suburban area uh, called Orland Park. And um, I remember one time... Uh, one time my brothers and I were going out to work on some job in Orland and um, this one guy on the crew, Rob, was saying, I-, I don't get it. Like, how come every time we go out there, like all the women are so good looking, like, you know, the the wives and the daughters are also good looking out there. And, and uh, you know, the, and it's like, dude, it's there's money there. So here's a guy with money and you know, is he, is he going to marry somebody average or below average as far as looks go? If his money can kind of garner him a better looking specimen of the female gender? No, of course he's going to marry a more attractive woman. And then, you know, he's average looking and, and has money and she's well above average looking. And then they're going to have an above average looking daughter. And then the gene pool goes forward from there. After a couple generations, the whole area is probably generally more good-looking. Well, and that, and even in terms of attractiveness, I think we we perceive people to be more attractive, and we think it's all face or whatever it is. But it's also, uh, can you buy some nicer clothes? Oh, sure, that too. It's all psychological, and then also you have the money and the time to maybe go and hit the gym. Yeah, or you know, to <laughs> go do, to the, go to the salon or whatever. Right, yeah. there's a, this sort of that you know the decadence of that you know being able to <laughs> the luxury of time. The luxury of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
in in Hokkaido, like all the small towns, like women, as soon as they could, they'd, they'd leave, they'd head for the city because <laughs> like the, the opportunities are there. Yeah, and and you and then you go to the cities, and and two thirds of the population are young women, right? Because uh, you know they've gotten out of dodge. Yeah, they, they know where they can get more of a. You know, they they're not going to just be housewives or or tending bar or something, right? Uh, which you know, which is fine. Sure. But uh, there's more choices. Uh, you know, they can they can pursue careers. Yeah, because they might save that other stuff for uh, you know a, a backup plan or for later in life. But yeah, so it, it was a big problem there that uh, you know the, the fishing villages and so on. The 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 young female population be gone. You just have little girls and old ladies, and that'll be it. Oh wow! It, and it, you know, it's it's not coincidence that you know you go someplace and you see more of a certain type of person or or less of. Uh, there are people who who say like. Uh, Oh, people seem more upbeat or more cheerful in Denver. It's like, well, yeah, there, you get lots of vitamin D from all that sunshine. And, uh, oh, there's a lot more fit people here. It's like, well, yeah, because people move here to because they have more access to mountains and biking trails and stuff. You know, so that's who's going to move here. Uh, you know, you're going to have people who 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 like seafood move to the coast. <laughs> and you're going to have people who who like, you know, dry weather move to Arizona. <laughs> And, you know, whatever it is. But people come here because they, they want to ride their mountain bike or they want to climb a mountain or they want to go skiing or whatever. I, I'm, I'm proud to, to be an anomalous <laughs> example of the population here in Denver. I like to... <laughs> yeah, I, I get all my exercise doing house projects. I, yeah. I, I'm never going to... You know what? I will, I will run when something is chasing me. If there's a wolf on the loose, run, I'm running. Run for fun. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> Thank you. No, that's one of that. In the, what's that? That's Back to the Future Three. Where Pat Buttram, he's like people run for fun in the future. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I do love Back to the Future. Now that we've passed the point in the future, yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah, they they predict a lot more fax machines in our lives. <laughs> but uh, so the uh, so the. The whole thing, like you said, I was thinking of the movie Them when I was saying that, like, oh, yeah, this is kind of revealed over a lot of mistaken uh, mm-hmm. perceptions of what was going on. And, and Them felt that way, for sure. Yeah, you have no idea what's going on, unless if you had any knowledge, of, no knowledge of the film going in. Yeah. The title was not giving it away. Right. Posters do. But yeah. If, if you're just going in and you just have strange noises in the desert, there's this little girl who's shell-shocked yep. and carrying a broken doll. It's really, you know, sinister, spooky. You don't know what is going on. Yeah, the the camper was ruined. Yeah, there's yeah. this camper torn open. And, yeah, uh, yeah. There's a, and 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 again, you have like a hero who's he's not an expert uh, in you know science or anything. He's like this. Right. He's a war veteran. He's he's now a cop out in the desert. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's a good guy and he's smart, but uh, you know, he just doesn't have the resources. Um, well, that's the I think that. You know, just like in Jaws too, I think that those make the best sort of those anti-hero kind of mm-hmm. the reluctant, you know, sheriff who's you know from the big city who's like here to relax and take it easy as a sheriff doesn't <laughs> want to deal with anything anymore, right. and also doesn't like the water, <laughs> doesn't even swim, you know. Yeah, yeah, and he's like past middle age, basically. Well, I don't know. I guess I just think of Roy Scheider as older. <laughs> Yeah, he was. Yes, young kids in the movie, so I guess it's not that old. He was born old. Yeah, (laughs) 
It's so weird when you see, you know, like uh, some character in some movie that you're really familiar with and you find out later he was 37. Oh, man. What? <laughs> it's like somebody who you perceive as being like in his 50s or 60s in a movie. And it's like, no, this guy was in his 30s. Uh, yeah. What's his name? When, uh, Lou Grant. Um, Ed Asner. Yeah. In, in when um, <clears throat> Mary Tyler Moore premiered 39, oh, 40. Yeah, <laughs> scary because that's my age. <laughs> yeah, you look at him and you go, oh, like, "That guy was I'm born 50. Ed Asner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're just not as gruff and <laughs> unpleasant. Um, so yeah, the, so this movie does unfold the same way a 50s movie unfolds, and and uh, the characters, um, they're fairly close to two dimensional. Most of them, you know, they they you get to know them a little bit, but they're yeah, you know enough. Yeah. I, mean, I, I was thinking like, horror movies, like you can know too much about characters. I just need like a little bit so that you you sympathize with them and, and or, or at least believe them. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Um, you care about them just yeah. enough. Yeah. I don't want to know their backstory. Yeah. Michael Gross plays Bert and Bert's a gun nut. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Survivalist. Yeah. Bert, and Reba McIntyre. Yeah. <laughs> Bert Gummer and Heather Gummer. Yeah. The Gummers. They're, they love guns. Yeah, but then, then they end up being rather heroic, too. So, yeah. You know. yeah. They're, they're not just this, this dumbass that goes down in a blaze of... They're like preppers, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. They were ready for just about anything that came from just about anywhere except for up under from the ground. Mm-hmm. And they say as much later in the movie. Like, they were ready for just about anything. And, and, yeah. and, and, Air filtration, water filtration, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And here this stuff comes up, boom. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, they were told later by by uh, Valentine that uh, had they stuck around, they'd have been dead by now. So it was probably good that they joined them and they ended up in the in the crazy chase predicament kind of thing. So we we saw earlier in the movie the uh, the pole vaulting scene. Um, it's painful and it's whimsy, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it, I could it never was, do that stuff. Yeah, but at least it was clever and it was funny. Yeah. And it establishes a point that pays off later, which is like, okay, so they can go through the ground, but the rocks are off limits. Right. So this is your little safety spot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hiding on, you know, standing on the roof of a building isn't much help for very long. And then you're just in the same trouble you were in before. Yeah. And I'd imagine most of the structures in that town are like shed style foundation. I mean, they're on, mm-hmm. probably on blocks or pillars or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of... Uh, Structural integrity and perfection. Breeze blocks and yeah, yeah. So the so they're um, so they're uh, they go into to the diner scene uh, where Walter names them the Graboids and everybody's just sort of uh, you know they, they've all they've all recognized it whether they saw it firsthand or not but they all recognize that you know things have gone horribly wrong creatures are coming up from the ground and they need to do something about it. And so it was a little silly and, you know, it was a lot silly, if I'm being honest. Um, but at least it, it was, you know, getting all the characters in one place and making a plan or coming up with ideas. And that's another one of those tropes that kind of works, you know. You get characters, uh, you know, brainstorming a little bit. Yeah. And I don't mind seeing some of that. Um, but I like the kid logic of it. I like a horror movie with a kid logic. You know, you can't step on... Yeah, the soft lava. Earth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just that's just great. Yeah. So yeah. then, what do they choose to do, though? Right from the plan is they 
They take horses. <laughs> and of course, it's Val and Earl again uh-huh. who have to do it because they're the only ones who can ride well or something. Right. Yeah. So they, yeah, they get the, uh, they get thrown from their horses and then they have to flee. Uh, and they. Oh, that's when the, the that's co- when they meet. Uh, so it was before. This, I think this is where they meet um, Rhonda. because Because right. they end up on the, on the concrete aqueduct. Mm-hmm. And she's up there with her equipment, and that's where they kind of clue her in that shit's really bad. Um, And then I think that was, was that where, I think they have to pole vault with her, yes. So that's where the pole vaulting seems. Because her truck is parked next to one of the rocks. Yeah, then they have to get to the truck and then try to take off. Yeah. And I think that's the one I was thinking of where it it tries to drag them under by the axle. Well, first it tries to drag them, it's just Val and Earl trying to leave town, and the road is blocked, so he backs up, up against the hillside, and the grand boy comes out and grabs the axle, and yeah. they rip it off, and yeah. that's the last one. Like, that's Stumpy, they call yeah. him, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, the, yeah, then they had actual physical evidence of it. Right, thing. that... Uh, Otherwise, Walt, who's going to believe these yeah. two dumbasses? <laughs> Walter, the ultimate capitalist, kind of comes in. And is that... <laughs> is right. that some good good-natured uh quasi racism there Walter the general store owner yeah always looking for a new way to make a buck yeah that could make sense yeah I mean he's he's got a general store he's there to make a yeah, buck. yeah that's right so I, I think it's fitting with his character sure yeah but is it is it sort of uh playing to racist stereotypes probably I mean, yeah, it was but, the 90s. But, you know, and it, I was thinking about that. So there's two minorities, right? There's him and there's Miguel, uh-huh. um, who's just another townsperson. And they don't ever seem to make anything of the fact that he's Hispanic. Right. It's just he's another character that lives in the town. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think they largely keep, you know. Because he's one of the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's how that works in movies, right? They, 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 they play it safe PC-wise. And they can, yeah. you can almost watch it today without... You know, except for the pants removal scene. Yeah, it's not super cringy. You know, you can yeah. watch it with some kids. And you can say, okay, it's not the worst thing that came out of 1990. No, know? it's by far not the worst thing. Uh, in fact, it would be interesting to look at other movies that came out in 1990 and say, well, how does how would that play today? Because there's a lot of stuff that just isn't okay. Just five years ago now, I think, <laughs> you know, and it and it's... And I'm on the side of I'm good. I'm glad it doesn't play anymore. Right. You know, but it is. It's hard to watch even things um, five or ten years ago. All the kind of the quasi rapiness and the sure. You know. I guess the question that I asked on another episode, I'll ask you, is: Do we go any race at all, or do we just say, "Here's a disclaimer before you watch this thing that you're going to watch. Um, it's going to have some." S- unpleasant stuff that was lunkheadedly uh acceptable at the time so i mean i think at some point the coming generation will have committed the idea that you need a disclaimer for all of this these cultural materials from these bygone eras right i mean it's it's going to be kind of ingrained in our collective knowledge that yes this is from this era yeah but this, this is from the racist homophobic 80s. But it's not that's not an excuse because there or were people whatever. who had the right idea back then too and weren't sure. doing that and knew it was wrong. So yeah. we can't excuse every example from there as being it's a product of its time. There were people who were even then rolling their idea or rolling their eyes at the idea of political correctness sure. or whatever um, that wouldn't do so anymore. Right. Um, 
So I think you can say, no, there were people, because people knew slavery was bad 200 years ago. Uh-huh, absolutely. You know? So therefore, yeah. you know, free-thinking people had a choice to make <laughs> and chose poorly, <laughs> and you can call them on that. That's not revisionism, I don't think. You know? In the movie K-Pax, <laughs> um, Kevin Spacey's character says, uh, uh, every single being in the universe knows right from wrong. Ironically, that came from a Kevin Spacey yeah. character. But um, yeah, I, I would say for the most part, that's true. You know, people do tend to know right from wrong and then do it anyway. I mean, there are definitely, there's conventional wisdom. And sometimes you can find yourself overwhelmed by conventional wisdom to the point where you find yourself sort of disregarding what seems to, later to have been the obvious moral, the correct moral choice, right? Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I think we've all, we have some regrets about thoughts or words um, that we previously used. Maybe not every, every one of us, but some of us. I think we've all sure. done or said things. And that we all grow, yeah. you know. And it doesn't mean you can't still judge some of the choices you made back then as having been maybe not having been the most ethical or, or respectful. Right. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you know, I've used the, the R word in a previous life. Sure. Or, um, you know said inappropriate things about women walking by to another male friend. Sure. You know, and uh, try not to do those things anymore. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is called growing up. And yeah. uh, hopefully filmmakers uh, as a group are doing more of this growing up. And I like to see things progress without, you know, it's okay if your bad characters do bad things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people did use the n-word in circum in certain circumstances and those people were not you know it's not an endorsement of that behavior to depict that behavior right but that context is something people have to keep in mind context but if the hero of the movie is using those terms or is treating women like shit or whatever right you have to remember um that maybe that's not such a good example to, to be looking at now julian there is an english version of a hillbilly right like country folk that are sort of a little backward? Is this typically regarded as being a, a stereotype? Uh, a chav. You have the the country bumpkin, the yokel. Yeah. In fact, uh, Yankee used to be a term for backward yokel. Yeah. I'm glad we appropriated that for, uh, <laughs> um, for people from the U.S. You also have the idea as here of... Uh, like this, this, there's even particular phrases in the West Country. You have the the, the city folk, which usually means London, uh -huh. go out into these places and they buy holiday homes or retirement homes, or, so, or they get you know they're just <laughs> tourists there, and uh, they meet all these local stupid bumpkins, uh -huh. and then they go home and they and all their money's gone. It's been you know they they've bought all this this you know knickknacks or or they've they've been steered to all these tourist uh, like traps and things and you know they just, they've just been completely fleeced yeah and uh you know in the, in the <laughs> back back with the yokels you know they're all they're all laughing because uh yeah they, they've wasn't uh, there there's like a blur song hand. in the country Do you yeah, know? yeah 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 <laughs> that phenomenon <laughs> the simple life go out and enjoy the you know yeah it's so condescending to anybody who chooses not to or just didn't grow up in an urban area sure know? yeah so. Yeah, and in this movie, uh, like I said before, you know, hey, is this exploitation? <laughs> well, you know, it's a group that doesn't seem to, to mind being um, exploited. 
You know, like there, you, well, you don't you get a lot of rotation, right? And uh, uh, a lot of them would be like the moonshine movies in the fifties sure, and sixties, yeah. and 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 again, you got these these guys who know their way around the local areas. They know all the back roads. Yeah, they're really good at souping up cars. Yeah, and uh, then you have the, the the city, which is usually represented by you know uh, the law. Yeah, uh, being outwitted. Yeah, um, by these these supposed supposed dumb people. Yeah. And the dumb people in this one figure the thing out mm-hmm. and outsmart it. Mm-hmm. So that kind of uh, plays to that in, in a way. And I don't uh, think any, there's no overwhelmingly, except maybe Val and Earl, but they're kind of the dumb people of the dumb people, right? Because they're the... <laughs> in the land of the dumb, the dumbass is king. Well, yeah, because they're the, you know, the whatever, hired hands, they can't... Uh, you know, they don't have the entrepreneurial expertise to <laughs> open a store <laughs> to make a yeah to make a decent living there. Yeah, and um, but I don't think any of the others, except for maybe the survivalist couple, are played for laughs. Initially, they're just residents. Yeah, and um, you know maybe what's his name? Uh, oh, I can't even remember his name, but uh, uh, he's the guy that gets sucked through the tire. Uh, which one is it? Um, he's uh he lives on in a trailer. He's in the trailer home. Gets knocked over and he oh, gets knocked off yeah. the top. Nestor. Nestor. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but he doesn't really have much before that in the movie. I don't think they even a couple of lines of dialogue. So. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you you've got uh, population fourteen. A few of them get picked off, and uh, but the group that you get to know ends up surviving the whole thing. Um. They want to get to the nearby mountain range, and uh, the the graboids have created a big sinkhole, and that's made it a problem for them to get to their goal. Because, and apparently these are the Sierra Nevada mountains that were used in mm-hmm. filming this. I know that area. It's around Lone Pine. Yeah. Um, so it's between, so just north of Death Valley, between uh, the Nevada border and the Sierra Nevadas. So. Oh, nice. And it's supposed to take place just over the border, but it's really pretty much geographically the same part of the country that they're supposed to be in right and um so those the the sort of snow-capped peaks that's like mount whitney that's the tallest peak in the u.s oh wow i think you can see it in the movie somewhere so is this something is this something uh in terms of uh the value of the property there is this a place people would want to go buy property or is this actually kind of (laughs) like what we're seeing in the movie it's like it's it's there's so there's Lone Pine and Bishop are the big cities in that area. If you go to the east of the Sierra Nevadas and go up the sort of eastern spine of California, yeah, that's pretty rural. Yeah, there's not much there except for you know some agriculture maybe. Yeah, and some ranching. It's it's weird because I I've actually seen some places that that uh, I th- always thought well there's value to this area like people aren't going to pay money for this ever and then all of a sudden over time it just changes and people are like they've bought up all the lakefront property there is and started buying everything else too and pretty soon you know like northern idaho is the example that comes to mind it's like you could get cheap land all over the place in the panhandle of northern idaho and now Mm -hmm. it's not so cheap and people who lived there for, you know, their whole life or generations or whatever, not super happy about that, I'm sure. You know, like, oh, it used to be you could buy a couple acres. Now it's like, nope, you can't. And I always wonder when you see an area that's played to be desolate on a movie, mm-hmm. 
Is it like is it like There's Joshua some... Tree where people are like, ah, I would buy? Yeah, I mean, in California at this point, I don't know where you can go where somebody isn't putting together like nice little million dollar spread. Yeah. Um, and uh, I lived in Montana. I lived in California, and that's what a lot of people do. If you don't uh, need to live where you work. Right. Um, you might go and speculate and buy something cheap, and a bunch of other people might do the same. And as long as there's utilities and maybe a town you can go and drive into sure. to get your necessities, it's a nice place to live. You know, Dave Letterman used to live in Choteau, Montana, which was middle of nowhere. Oh, yeah. A lot um, of the celebs started buying up Montana, oh, which yeah. was weird. When, when I lived there, I worked at Borders and Home Depot and uh, a few other places, and they would come through. Borders... I would see them every Sunday because they would come into town to get the New York Times. Oh. So in Bozeman, <laughs> you'd see Tom Brokaw, you'd see Henry Winkler, you'd see Dennis Quaid, you'd see uh, Michael Keaton. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. they all Harrison lived, Ford. Yeah. yeah, they all lived in the, the neighboring valley, which is Paradise Valley, coincidentally. <laughs> uh, not, not unlike perfection. Right. Um, I don't know about that area east of the Sierras. That is remote. I've I've driven okay. through New, northern Nevada uh-huh. before Elko, Winnemucca, that area. Yeah, Winnemucca was I nearly got knocked off the road by an errant tumbleweed the size of my pickup. Wow! <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sustained winds of about fifty miles per hour. Oh yeah. I mean, it's hard to live out there. I would say that's not ideal because that's that no. basin range area where it's really really desolate. Nothing grows. Um, but then you get over to the Sierras and. From Carson City and, and Reno up to, you know, whatever, what's the the big lake, Lake Tahoe. Yeah. Then then it's million-dollar properties. Godfather 2. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out of the past. Yeah. <laughs> so 20-plus um, F-bombs in this movie had to be replaced <laughs> with uh, other language. They were trying to get a PG-13? Or? They were trying to get from R to PG-13, and the MPAA was They kept being... one, at least in the cut I saw. Yeah, they did. But they needed to get rid of a lot more, and um, and they um, they successfully made it kind of funnier. Oh, yeah, I think. Mother Humper, Mother Humper. You know that's funny. You know that that's okay. You 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 substitute it like that, and it's actually it's probably funnier than having those characters say motherfucker. Yeah, it's like Mother Humper, and then he says it like twice in a row. Um, but yeah, uh, the. Um, the PG-13 was more desirable because they wanted to get a younger audience. And it did fine, you know, made its money. But like you said, it did better in in, uh, box, in, uh, in uh, video rentals than it did in the box office. Uh, how did they get past the sinkhole again? Um, what was their solution? So this is I after the, they're on just their way this. into the mountains. Yeah. And uh, they didn't think that the Graboids could stop their, you know, 20-ton caterpillar that's what it was so but they dug a sinkhole they can't i guess they could tell underground where the actual jeep trail was that's the part i <laughs> that's where my suspension of disbelief stopped yeah um everything else played fine, yeah but right the, yeah but um so so they dig a sinkhole and then it's it's stuck so they use one of the homemade bombs that's um, what it was. to one frighten bird. them off long enough so they can hightail it to a one of those groups of boulders, yeah, right. But then they think they're marooned, uh, and then they get the idea to f- fishing, where you like drag the bomb, a lit bomb, yeah. along the ground until it swallows it, and then boom, boom. But the second one, which is the smart one, 
right? The Stumpy. Yeah. Um, doesn't fall for it, spits out the bomb, and it blows up all the other bombs, right? And then they all have to run from the rocks, and then uh, your heroes are stranded out between the rock and that big cliff that they show at the very fir- the first shot in the movie that he's peeing off. Right? Yeah. So, um, and that's when Val gets the idea. If you throw the bomb behind him, stampede. Yeah. He knows that they can't tell what's directly in front of him because of the one that dies hitting the culvert, the concrete, uh, the cement ditch. Yeah. Right. So he figures he'll go right out the side of the cliff. And, the, the aqueduct. There yeah. you go. Yeah, that's what it was. I was trying to remember what the sequence of crazy events was. I'm glad you summed that but up. But there's nicely. a good, yeah, that was a good little, you know, on the fly, cleverly. Yeah. Um, and then the three heroes are kind of involved in that little yeah. last scene. Yeah, with their heroic, uh, well lit scene at the end. And... But I just like the little throwaway line that Michael Gross, the the survivalist, what's his name? Uh, Bert. Bert. He's he's like, what's in these, Bert? He's like. Just a few household ingredients in the proper proportions. You yeah. Know, it's just very... Oh, yeah. That, what was that? The Anarchist Cookbook. Yeah. Right. I knew a guy, one of my brother's friends had uh, a copy of that back in the 80s. And, uh, man, there was some crazy shit. This is before they... they it, you can still get it now, but they've changed it to where none of the stuff will actually work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. so what's the point? But uh, you could buy that thing at like an army surplus store. And it would tell you how to make homemade napalm or, you know, incendiary The beginning of the end for that book was there was a, in my hometown in San Antonio, it was a public access show, cable access show called The Worst Show. (laughs) And this guy built it. He built a bomb from the book. And then there was a huge Supreme Court. I don't know if it was Supreme Court, but it was a big court case about freedom of speech Mm -hmm. and what is considered sort of dangerous speech. Right. Um, and is the building of a bomb on cable access, um, you know, which, you know, uh, is what exactly happened. He built right. a bomb. Uh, is that free speech and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it, that guy. Is it your Second Amendment right to own a bazooka and use it? No, yeah. it's yeah. not. But, and that's the question, is that yelling fire in a crowded theater, the right. anarchist cookbook or whatever? It, and it absolutely is, I think. You know, it's like, you don't need to know that crap, you know. And what's funny about the Bert character, that I, like, we all kind of know guys like Bert, right? Oh, yeah. But they're not represented in movies en- enough. Because that's a, that's an American person. That's a very common... You run into somebody like... I mean, there's Walter from The Big Lebowski, too, who is a, a similar kind of... yeah. Yeah, I know these guys. Yeah. You know, I, I hate to say that I know more of them than I know seismologists, but I totally yeah, do. Guys who read a lot about war and know a lot about guns and, and own lots and lots of them are really common. Like, really common. Yeah. My dad is a pacifist, liberal, pinko, whatever, <laughs> but he still reads Buku books about World War II. Right. And, um, you know, and plays war games and, and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and just it's part of the culture. Yeah. It absolutely is. So this is the point in the show where I ask, um, do you recommend this movie? Paul, you've seen this thing several times. It had been a while since I'd seen it, though. And, you know, your nostalgia, of course, can, can create an impression. Yeah. So watching it last night, I felt like 
you know, it was the dialogue was a little more stilted than I remembered, and yeah, and obviously I think the production value was not as I remembered it. You know, of course, mm-hmm. uh, we could talk more about that about the puppets and the, and the <laughs> the uh, stop action, um, which you know is only about it at this point two or three years away from disappearing right with t2 and jurassic park yep. you know like you wouldn't have done that movie the same way in another year or two you're right except that the director videos they still do it kind of like that right uh well when i saw last night was seemed to be cg and then life-size props yeah um and it was done very well but yeah i mean i recall being impressed at the time and i and mm-hmm. some of it yeah, was it's still well pretty impressive rewatching it last night but some of it yeah. but not enough to not make me recommend it i think is a right. fun it's escapist it's not particularly heady yeah there's not a big there's no message <laughs> yeah. it's storytelling don't don't get eaten right i think yeah. is the message but, but it doesn't even have that moralizing component of some of those 50s monster movies where it was like the the atomic uh you know age has brought about these crises yeah uh, it doesn't say that. Doesn't say they came from aliens. Doesn't say anything about that. It's just a, a few people kind of banding together to handle their business. You know. Yeah. Yeah. They're not even. They're not even commies. <laughs> you know. No, and and it, it refrains from even really making a judgment or or playing it too much for laughs. The you know he's Bert says or Earl says something about Bert's lifestyle. He's like, I'm gonna stop making fun of your lifestyle now, Bert. But because in <laughs> the right. end, it came in useful. Like. And there, there is a comment, I guess, is that there's a little bit of an irony that, like, oh, you know, it, he would, for, for survivalists to actually find some use in their belief system, you you need crazy underground monsters or some kind of a thing. And there, I think there, there comes that, aha, I told you moment, mm-hmm. you know, for somebody who's like, uh, I told you this was going to come in handy. Well, yeah, be yeah. prepared. Yeah. But then you go, well... Given the absurdity of the circumstances, yeah, you can't be judged for having made fun of me before, right? <laughs> you, you, you couldn't, because what were the odds this yeah. was ever going to happen? Um, so you, so do you recommend it to uh, kind of your average movie lover? Sure. I mean, I'm not. You know, it has some horror components, but it's not so off-putting in terms of gore, or um, and it doesn't have some. It has some good scares, but nothing uh, that somebody over the age of 10 or 12 couldn't handle. Right. Um, and so I think it fits neatly in a, you know, that sort of soft uh, horror slash kind of comic action, Yeah. you know, place. And it's, and it's fun. So, yeah, it's, it, it's um, as far as movies like this go, I, I put this in a category of like uh, total recall where mm-hmm. it's like, you're getting goofy fun and you're getting, you know, action or whatever. But, uh, um, Jolien, what about you? Do you recommend this one? Yeah, it's a fun monster movie. Yeah. And uh, what, what do you think as far as, like, non-horror fans versus horror fans? Who's who's this more for? Like, can horror fans dig this? Or do you think it's just going to be something where they just sort of turn their noses up at it? Yeah, if, if you're into monster movies, yeah, fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm into the 50s monsters um so the re- the reason i don't own it is just because uh if i want to watch something that's uh evokes the 50s monster <laughs> movies i watch a 50s monster yeah. movies <laughs> that's right. um but uh, yeah I, I do like it I, I watched the first couple of this series and i thought well you know it's going to be the same again and again right 
And yeah. in, in, indeed, I watched the sixth one and it was the same again. I enjoyed it, but I'm you know, not going to watch it again. <laughs> and we were we were talking about on the way over here, um, uh, Jolien had uh, mentioned that uh, backstage ACDC was uh, was talking. Uh, Malcolm Young said something about, uh, yeah, people say that we've made the same album oh, yeah. Yeah, 10 times. And, and uh, was it Angus? Angus, yeah. Says, uh, yeah, they're wrong. It's 11. <laughs> So, yeah, it kind of, yeah, you know. It works. Yeah. And yeah. it's and it continued on. I think there's yeah. a lot of those still in that tradition. Oh, yeah. You know, and... Uh, Just keep making them. If people keep buying them, why are you going to keep making them? It's about the charm of the casting. That's, you know, good decisions. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and obviously not trying to do too much. Don't, you know, don't rewrite the, uh, the book. You know? No, you don't yeah. need to. Because it's... And that's why it's good that they don't, they don't get... They get into the action pretty quickly and then yeah that's sustained until the end and then you know yeah there's a little what do you call it a little uh, epilogue of the you know that's closes the little romantic uh thing you yeah know, that's what everybody wants right mm-hmm. sure yeah you want something that resembles a happy ending on it um i do recommend it as well and i, and I put it right in there with things like total recall that are it's like you know well, what you're getting uh, Total Recall, I don't know if that's a good example because that started out as a Philip K. Dick story <laughs> and and it had, and it was, you know, it was quite intelligent and there was, it there was meaning and origins <laughs> levels to it and, it and it got boiled down to this. This, <laughs> this goofy yeah, problem. It's very, Mindless, yeah. it's a very enjoyable film, but, you know, it's, on, uh, it's not what it perhaps should have been we'll as an adaptation. Well, I guess I should say that with a caveat that Every time I mention Total Recall, I completely forget that it's related to Philip K. Dick. <laughs> if, if you take Philip K. Dick as written and try to make a movie that's mm-hmm. a Philip K. Dick movie, then you get something like uh, Blade Runner. Right. And then, But if you like try and make it so that people will watch it, then you get something like Total, Total Recall. Right. And that's the thing is I think of Philip K. Dick when I talk about Blade Runner. You know, but I don't think of him when I talk about Total Recall because I yeah. just think of it as like a goofy Arnold movie and um, bulging eyes. Yeah, <laughs> oh, <laughs> when the pressure, when the atmospheric pressure starts to pop his eyes out, and when the dome closes back up, it's back to normal. Yeah, and that and that as an Arnold movie, it has yeah, its, like, yeah. a good share of those kind of low rent effects or those kind of Corman esque touches. Oh, those were state of the art. Like oh. the Rob Bottin, yeah, where the head Pull, opens up, yeah, oh, that was great. Or pulling that that uh, that beacon ball out of his nose with that device, yeah. yeah, that stuff looked as good as it could look. I mean, it was in Rob Bottin, you know, this guy gave us uh, RoboCop for yeah. fuck's sake. I mean, yeah, and uh, what what was the famous um, uh, the the werewolf split that happened then? It was, it was um, the howling. The Howling and and um, American Werewolf in so, London. Yeah, Robertine mm-hmm. worked on The Howling. Yeah, and so this would be just before the thing. Yeah, yeah. So he he was too busy to to go over to American Werewolf in London. I Is know that this, how it worked. This story from the Dana Gould podcast. That um, sounds like something Dana would I talk think about. It wasn't uh, Rob. It was the, the other. Um, what's wrong with me? Rick Baker. Rick Baker. Yeah. who was uh, telling the story. Okay. So he was um, of he had yeah he had to make a choice I think it was it was Rick Baker that and had then to make he the choice. and he but it, yeah he took too long yeah and uh, but it, then ended up the timing he could have worked on both or something right but uh, yeah he, you know 
Yeah. Didn't end up terrible for him. No. <laughs> Academy Award for the movie. <laughs> yeah. Not a bad thing. Which it's funny that you say that because Tom Woodruff, the guy who did this, he did Wolf, which is the Jack oh, Nicholson one. Yeah. And he also did Starship Troopers. He's mm-hmm. the guy that created the Graboid. Oh yeah. And 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 headed the the effects team. And I was always thinking Star Trek Starship Troopers and this one both have creature designs in a lot of movies these days that look a lot like the Wayne Barlow extraterrestrial designs yeah. from um, his first few books. Okay. And do you know Wayne Barlow is kind of a illustrator? Yeah, he's done like he does a lot about hell, doesn't he? Yeah, now, <laughs> nowadays. And he also does dinosaurs too. Oh, but yeah. um, but uh, there's a way Barlow's Guide to Extraterrestrials was a great book came out yeah. in the 70s. Okay. It's still in print, I think. And then he did a book called Expedition, which is a kind of a sci-fi book of a it's kind of an illustrated travel log to uh, life forms on a planet um, not you know that's not earth and how they would have evolved a little bit differently mm-hmm. and his creature designs I think were very influential in a lot of these 80s 90s yeah. movies especially Starship Troopers in this one because there are a lot of eyeless creatures he created a lot of them with these kind of hook like appendages and these kind of insect like features oh yeah and you really see that in this one so yeah and that was one of the most creepy things in uh, the Peter Jackson King Kong was was that grub worm thing with all the hooks that oh. took oh, that yeah. dude's head off. Ugh. <laughs> God. I just know. That's such... Stop. <laughs> That's Peter Jackson revealing his true self there, those those scenes. Oh, uh, his early films, yeah. I think I sent you a link there. The, the, he's going to do a box set of his early films. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Bad taste. Meet the Feebles. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. really looking forward to that because I love that movie. Yeah. 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 You kind of wish films. now that with Brain the clout dead. that he has, that he would just do one of those with the budget of oh, a King Kong or yeah. a Lord of the Rings or something. That would be that would be amazing. Because he could really do some yeah some terrifying stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would love to see it. Mm. So is this a good place to call it a show? Yep. Right. Sure. Well, so we all recommend this thing. Um, Horror fans who like monster movies, sure, you'll probably dig it. Um, the Gorehounds, well, you know, there's no pleasing them with something like this. So, you know, you know you know what you're getting into when you get into this. And uh, don't think of Philip K. Dick when you're watching uh, Total Recall. Just, just, just put the dick out of your mind and just watch Arnold. Give the people air. <laughs> oh! All right, listeners, thank you for listening. And keep off the moors.